Well, this is the last sermon in my series on Transformed by the Renewing of Your Mind. And the title this morning is, of this sermon, is Grace Giving Relationships. Grace Giving Relationships. From Ephesians 4, verse 31 into chapter 5, verse 2, because really this chapter spills over into chapter 5 and concludes in verses 1 and 2. Would you look at the scripture with me as I read Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 31 and then ending in chapter 5, verse 2. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, and slander, be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God, in Christ, forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of Christ. May it dwell in you. Well, have you been hurt by people? Can you think of that name that when it's said, your heart gets pierced because they sinned against you? Maybe it's a person who cheated you or gossiped about you. Maybe it's a parent that wasn't the parent they should have been or, or a sibling that you don't understand why they are against you. And here's the question before us really today and of this text, and that is how should you respond to people who hurt you by sinning against you? Let me illustrate this sermon first with a story, and then I'm going to end the story at the end of my sermon. There was a Christian man named Bruce, Bruce Marikami. He was happily married, living in Florida with his wife, Cindy, and their three children. On November 18, 1998, Cindy and their 11-year-old daughter, were driving down the road, and a young man was recklessly driving his car at 90 miles an hour. He hit her van, pushed her into the other lane. Her van caught fire, and both Cindy and their daughter died. In fact, Bruce was driving down the road at the same time, about a mile away, and came up and saw the accident after. This young man was not charged, even though he was at fault. Years went by, and the prosecutors were not willing to charge him with anything. And this just ate Bruce up. He lost his wife, his child, and it consumed him. His heart was full of pain. This is what he said, I was angry, I was livid, I was like, let me find this punk and I'm going to take care of him. He said, I was walking like a zombie. I sold my business, sat on the beach every day. I put down my Bible and I didn't want to do any, have anything to do with God. What's your story? We all have had people in our life that have hurt us. How are we to respond? Well, Ephesians 4, 31, through really chapter 5, verse 2, directs us to respond to offenses with grace, like God has demonstrated grace to us. And the big idea of this text is this, you must not Hold on to offenses, but freely offer grace in love as God in Christ has for you. 
I think you could sum up these four verses with this sentence right here, and that is that you must not hold on to those offenses, but you must freely offer grace in love as God in Christ has for you. Remember, Ephesians chapter 4 teaches us how God restores us into the image of God into the way God has designed us and desires for us to live, and that is a holy life like Christ. And look at verse number 1, Ephesians 4.1. Notice this is all about our walk in holiness like Christ. Notice verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So he's saying God has called you to salvation so you would walk like Christ. Notice Ephesians 4 verse 17. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. And so there must be this transformation of your life, of your behavior. And where does that start? We learned this the past couple weeks, verse 20 through 24 teaches that God transforms your nature when you believe the gospel. And he, transform, he transforms your nature to be like Christ. Look at verse 23. You can see that there we have the mind of Christ. And that is that mind that is daily being renewed by the word of God. By the spirit of God. And then verse 25 through 32 demonstrate what it looks like for us to walk like Christ. In fact, look at. Chapter 5, verse 2, and this kind of concludes this whole thing. Chapter 5, verse 2 says this, And walk, notice the word walk, in love as Christ loved us. So what he's saying here is this, is that you are to have a life that images Christ, that walks like Christ. And particularly in our text today, it's having a walk like Christ in our relationships. And really the context of this passage is that our relationships within the body of Christ, within the local church right here. We'll see this in a moment. But if you look at verse 31, 32, you can see that there's a a put off. There's something that God wants us to to walk away from, to repent of, really. There's something we're to put on. It's Christ-likeness. We're to trust God by faith to live a certain way. And that's done by the renewing of our mind. It's God changing our thoughts about himself and therefore about the world around us. And so first notice, how are we to walk in Christ's likeness in our relationships? First notice that you are to put off. You're to put off. Put off. You must not hold on to offenses. I think you can summarize verse 31 that way. Look at verse 31. Notice there's a progression of what typically happens to those who are sinned against. So notice let all bitterness, and then notice these these conjunctions, and, bitterness and wrath, and anger. And what's happening here with these ands, it's indicating that one leads to the next one. So bitterness leads to wrath which results in anger and clamor and slander. And then finally, it ends with malice. And notice the two adjectives, all, all bitterness. Then the end of that sentence there, all malice. And all indicates that it includes every type of form of bitterness or anger or malice. It means every word that's, that has those characteristics and, and even attitudes, Your attitude really is the aroma of your heart. So if you have a rotten attitude, it stinks because that's what your heart is like. Because you have a heart that's, if it's rotten, it's because you have a heart that's rotten with self-centeredness. You're ruled by self instead of the sweet, sovereign rule of Christ. And so what you see here is he's saying there's certain things we are to put off. And then notice that verb there. Be put away. This is a verb that is in the aorist tense. And what this means for us is that this is a decision that you must make. What, What he's doing here is he's calling for you to make a decision that you no longer are going to have 
This be how you think. This be how you live with bitterness and wrath and anger. These really are are not, not just feelings. We think of anger or bitterness as I have this feeling. And yes, it includes feelings. But really, these are thoughts of the mind which lead to choices of the will that results in feelings of your desires. Think about that. These are thoughts of the mind that lead to choices of the will that results in feelings you have, your desires. So the, the command here, this is an imperative, so the command here is that you must make a decision that you're not going to hold on to that pain. You're going to give it over to the Lord. In fact, if you notice that verb again, it's a passive. This means that's something that God's to do. That means this is something that you're to give over to God for him to take care of. And you might think about your pain and that sin. You might think, well, Pastor Ben, I've tried to do that. You know what? I bet you have tried. You might say, Pastor Ben, it doesn't work. I've, I've done my best. And you know what? You're right, it doesn't work. Because it's not something you can do in your own strength. And that's the point of that passive right there. In fact, look at verse number 30. Notice what he says leading into this verse, 31, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So God has given you the Holy Spirit. How is it possible for you to let go of those sins and give them to God? It's only possible if you are trusting, depending upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He must clean our thoughts. He must empower our wills. He must give us the desires of God. And and I think this really looks like you going before the Lord, maybe even falling on your face in prayer, and you're, you're casting your cares upon him. Because why? He cares for you. This is dependence upon the Lord. I read a story about a husky dog that killed a squirrel, and this husky kept this dog with him. His owner tried to get it back, but the you know, husky would grab it with his mouth and wouldn't let go. And eventually, obviously, it started to stink and smell. And, but the husky, you know, like huskies are, huskies don't like to let go. And you know what? Sometimes we don't like to let go either, do we? And this is what God's calling us to do. He's saying, he's saying, give it to the Lord. Put it away from you. Put it in the Lord's hands. So so let's look at some of these nouns here. Put away all bitterness. This is a word that means something is sharp. It's pungent. It's it's like vinegar that's, that's tart on the taste buds. So the bitterness here are those thoughts that are sharp and pungent on the mind. Bitterness is what started in the minds of Joseph's brothers in Genesis 37. Remember that? Genesis 37, 4 says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him, that's Joseph, more than all his brothers, they hated Joseph, and they could not speak peaceably to him. So so it's interesting, notice that they had these bitter thoughts which led to anger about him, which led to speaking evil about him, which led ultimately to malice, they sold him to slavery. How did they get there? It's because they had these thoughts of bitterness. It's thoughts like, why didn't I get recognized? Or it's stewing on thoughts like, oh, that person said that cutting word. If I could have just said this, I could have really had a good zinger back at them. It's in the middle of the night going over and over in your mind about that conversation that person had with you. What do they mean by this? What do they say by this? What do they say with, what do they mean by saying this? It's the thoughts of annoyance, of frustration or criticism because of another person's words or their mannerisms or their actions. Bitterness, I think, is like mercury. You know, mercury looks like that silver liquid. There was a time when science teachers 
in the schools used to let the students play with mercury. Did anyone in here have a class in high school where you were able to touch mercury? Anyone like that? Okay, there you go. And some of the younger people are like, oh, I can't believe that. Actually, at one time, they prescribed mercury, doctors did that, to help stomach ailments. Mercury, though, is dangerous. Mercury harms the nervous system. It can damage the brain. It can even lead to death. Mercury lasts so long, they actually tracked Lewis and Clark's expedition by looking for mercury where they went to the bathroom. So that's how they knew where they went. You know, bitterness can kind of be like mercury. It, it, it seems innocent. It seems like something just fun to kind of play with. But it's going to poison your mind. Bitterness will poison your mind. And it will kill your relationships. You know, bitterness can last for a very, very long time. And can have effects, effects that even go beyond your lifetime. So you must not hold on to bitterness. Or the next word there is and wrath. Wrath is really the, the outbreak of bitterness. It's like a burst of flames. We like to cook eggs on our gas stove. And so sometimes we spray the oil on there. And it hits the flame and it's poof. No eyebrows. You know, it just goes up like that. And that's wrath. It's, it's like you have this bitterness in your heart. And someone says something and it's like zap. It comes out of you. Anger. You must not hold on to anger. Anger is the attitude of continued dissatisfaction. It's like the burning coals on the fire. It, it seethes. It, it cooks and heats everything else around it. And we, we learned in verses 26 and 27 that there is righteous anger. So here, this is sinful anger. And remember what the difference was. In fact, I'll just put it on the screen here to show you. What's the difference between Sinful anger and righteous anger. So this is a review here, class. Christ-like anger is a Holy Spirit-controlled response of displeasure because God's will is violated. And so I, I circled up there that this is the standard for righteous anger. It's that God's moral will is violated. But the truth is most of our anger is sinful because most, sinful, most anger is about us and about you violating what I demand and what I want in life. But actually, righteous anger is really about God's glory being violated. Another difference between godly anger and sinful anger is godly anger is motivated and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And sinful anger is empowered by my fuel or fueled by my flesh. And so when, when the Holy Spirit has control of my heart and God's standards are violated, then there, there can be and there should be sometimes actually this righteous anger which will have peace and, and gentleness and goodness and patience and self-control. You know why? Because it's controlled by the Holy Spirit and that's his fruit in our life. And so if, we, if you look down in verse 26 and 27, I'm not going to read it, but just notice there that we're warned not to hold on even to righteous anger. We're to deal with that anger. If, if something, if God's moral standards are violated, then and we need to do something about it. But we must be careful not to hold on to that, deal with that sinful anger before the sun goes down, because even righteous anger can easily turn dangerous for us if we hold on to it too long. So we must not hold on to this bitterness and wrath and anger. And then next, look at verse number 31. It's clamor. Clamor is something noisy. It's shouting. And so notice what starts in the mind with bitterness now is leading to words. These are words of sharp contention. You know what I'm talking about where the, the voice goes up. You start screaming and yelling Clamor is the brother of slander. Slander is speaking evil about other people. These are one of the seven sins God says he hates in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 19, where God says the Lord hates one who sows discord among the brothers, one who speaks evil of other people. 
And so as we've been examining the, number, uh, the past couple of weeks, how is your speech? What's it like? How do you speak about other people? And then notice, last of all, we're to put these away along with all malice. And this really is the final step. This is this, this desire for and maybe even action for revenge. That that pain that person brought upon you, you're going to make sure that person experiences pain too. It's this lust for vengeance, desire to make them pay. This really is how Satan operates. Do you know how you can tell if Satan or the Holy Spirit is running a church or running a home or in charge even of your own heart? Look at what is being held on to and what's being done with it. Look at what's being held on to and what is being done with it. Satan loves to hold on to the faults of other people and use them to hurt and to destroy. But you know what? God, he loves to forgive. God loves to forgive sins so he can bring reconciliation and restoration and, and in a church and in a home and in other relationships. Really, that's really where the Holy Spirit's operating. It's when he, yes, points out their sin, but the goal is to reconcile the relationships. And those individuals that are there to try to destroy, and they're going to take that, and they're going to take you down. Oh, that's so sad. It's a telltale sign. Satan's running that home or that organization, that person. So we must put off, not hold on to offenses. And so let me just ask before we get done with this section right here, what are you holding on to? Today is the day for you to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I mentally and keeping these things in my mind, but Lord, I give them over to you. Like you're the Lord, you're the righteous judge. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? Yes, they're yours, Lord. And then and put on freely offering grace in love. Freely offer grace in love. Notice verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. There are two verbs here. At the beginning here of verse 32, the first one is be, really be manifesting. The second verb is forgiving one another. And so the words, if you look at, at verse 32, the words kindness or kind and tenderhearted are adjectives of be. So the first verb is to be manifesting kindness and tenderheartedness. And the second verb is to be forgiving. And both of these are in the present tense. In other words, this is to be the disposition and activity of your heart that you desire to be kind and and tenderhearted and be forgiving. And then notice two really important phrases here. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. These are speaking about the closest relationships you have. And again, like I said, this is a, the context here really is the local church. If you read through Ephesians 1 through verse 16, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, you will see that this is the local church. This is where your closest relationships are to be. And it's not saying that you shouldn't love and forgive those outside of the church. What it's saying is it starts here. And isn't it true that, that sometimes we are the sharpest, we are the meanest to the people who are the closest to us? And so what he's doing, he's saying, he's going home. He's saying, he's saying, it starts in your closest relationships. Jesus said in John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And so notice there, we are to love one another, but it's, Imaging Christ. It's how he has loved us. And so notice 
Ephesians 5. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 2. Notice this is why he ends this section like this. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So 1 Corinthians 13 says what? Love is kind. This, this is what, this is how our church should be described. This is what should be the description of our relationships. We must be freely offering grace in love. So notice verse 32, be kind to one another. The word kindness is, a, is the disposition of the heart that seeks another person's good. The word kindness means useful. It's, it means what fits the occasion. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, Jesus said, Come to me, for my yoke is easy. Really, that's the word kind. My yoke is kind. Jesus' work in our life is what is best for us. What really, what really fits the occasion in our life. Jesus knows what to put in our life at the right time. That's his kindness to us. Imagine someone's hand is very cold and then you have a glove that's, that is insulated and you give that glove to that person and that glove goes on and it fits perfectly and it warms that hand. Kindness is like a glove that fits well that does its job, that seeks the best and fulfills that. That's really the idea of kindness. It's an attitude, it's words, it's actions that perceives what does a person need and then seeks to help them to fulfill that. So kindness is walking up to a door and, and opening the door for the other person, right? It's kindness is saying please and, and thank you. Kindness is perceiving that someone needs encouragement. And so you write them a, a note of encouragement. Kindness is seeing trash on the floor in your home and, and picking it up and throwing it in the trash because you want to be kind to your mom, right? So she doesn't have to do it or your wife or whoever cleans up after you in your mess. Kindness is a fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5, 23. It's what is produced when the spirit Controls you when you're walking with Christ. And so why? Why should we be kind? That's the question, right? I mean, why pick up that piece of trash? Mom can do it. <laughs> why should I be kind? Well, that's because God is kind. I mean, what should renew our mind is, who is God? God's a God of love and God is a God of kindness. Well, that person doesn't deserve it. But you know what? God gives kindness to those who don't deserve it. And numero uno is what right here, right? But even to those who hate God. I mean, think about Luke chapter 6. It says, we are to love our enemies. We're to do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And why? Why would you do this? For he, that's God, is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Do you realize that God is kind to terrorists? Think about that. I mean, that's probably the worst, right? I mean, we think about the worst, those, those terrorists over there in Gaza. Like, ugh, how is God kind to them? Well, they're breathing still. They're able to eat food and enjoy that. Actually, that part of the world is very beautiful. I mean, it's not beautiful right now on the ground, but beautiful sky, they're by the ocean, and they could at times and maybe still can go out and see that beauty. And they, so they can enjoy things in this. Do you know that's God's kindness to them? Why would God do that? God's not approving of their actions. Why would God do that though? Because that's who God is. God is a God who just, what comes forth from him is goodness. And God is a God who shares that goodness. And ultimately what God is demonstrating in his kindness is that he desires to fulfill the greatest need and that is for a person to come to repentance. I mean, that's why in Romans chapter two that, that God tells 
the, the Jewish people who had for years had God's word and God had been so good to them, but they still rejected him. He says, do you not know God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Don't mistake God's kindness as him not caring about your sin. It's like, well, God hasn't done anything yet in my life. I mean, I'm going on and I can sin and nothing happens. It's God's kindness to you. Why would God do that? Because he wants you to repent. He wants you to confess you are a sinner and you are condemned and you need a savior. So we are kind. We are to be kind because God is like that. Notice in verse 32, we're to be kind and tenderhearted. Tenderhearted is this deep sense of care for others. This word can refer to the internal organs. So it's it's referring to the, the depths of care that we have for someone. It's a compassion that's felt deep down into your bowels, your kidneys, or as Americans, we say, our heart. That's why it says tenderheartedness. We don't like to say tender bowels. It doesn't seem like it would go together. But it's this idea that it's, it's deep down. You feel deeply. This is, this is described of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. This is the verb form where it says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion, this tenderheartedness for them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed by sin. They were harassed by Satan. And when he saw them, he had this overwhelming compassion for them. Do we have that kind of compassion for people? Like when you look through the directory or you look around this room and do you have that deep sense of care for others here? We have a couple people that are sick today and do you, do you think about them and think, oh, I wonder, I really love that person. Not because they're lovely, although I think many of you are lovely, but because I desire to be like Christ and love people. Have this tenderheartedness. And again, this goes back to the character of God. I mean, this is who God is. God's one who has this, this compassion. In, 18, in the 1800s in Scotland, there was a pastor named Robert Murray McShane. He was famous for being a pastor who just was very loving and kind. And also because he died at the age, tragically, of 30 The story is told, though, that years later after he passed away, there was a man in his 90s that knew Pastor McShane when he was a young man, when he was a young boy, actually. And so he was a greeter at the door of this church. And so this visitor came and said, did you know that pastor? Did you know? Did you know Pastor Robert Murray McShane? Did you know him? And this old man said, actually, I did know him, you know. So he was an older man. And he wanted to know more information. He says, I really don't remember what he preached and what he really said. But I do remember this about him. He was a man who loved. And he said he remembered when he was a young man, there was, uh, his, his sister was in the home and she was dying. And the pastor came by. And as he was about to leave, he put his hand on the head of this little boy who was now this older man that was 90. And he said, the pastor said this to him, Jamie, I'm concerned about your soul. And then he said the pastor's eyes watered up and he began to cry for this young man. I want you to give your heart to Christ. I must have you saved. And the old man said this, I have forgotten everything else about him, but I can feel those fingers on my head yet. Right? That's, that's compassion. That's love. And most importantly for the soul of that young man. So we're to walk like Christ in this way. Kindness, tenderheartedness. And then notice in verse 32, forgiving one another, forgiving one another. There are two New Testament Greek words we translate or the translators translate as forgive. Those two words are found in the letter to the Ephesians. In fact, go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, because I want to show this to you. Ephesians 1, 7. 
actually has a different Greek word for forgive, as far as the root word goes, than the one we find in Ephesians 4, verse 32. In Ephesians 1, 7, we see this word forgiveness. It's a noun, aphesis, and it's the verb, or it's the noun here, that speaks of pardoning someone's offense. This verb, well, sorry, this noun, this noun is found 17 times in the New Testament. 14 times it's found in the phrase forgiveness of sins. So notice Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In him, that's Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or sins according to the riches of his grace. So the word for forgiveness here and also in the verb form in other places means to release, to pardon, to release someone from the debt they owe or to release someone from prison. So this is a legal term used to pardon a criminal. So in Ephesians 1, 7, we find here that Jesus earned our forgiveness for our sins with his atonement on the cross. So here in Ephesians 1, 7, the scripture teaches that Jesus made forgiveness possible with his shed blood. Then notice in, Ephesians, in Acts chapter 10, I just put this on the screen, Acts 10, 43, this same word is used in Acts 10, 43 to describe the forgiveness that God gives to us when we believe. Acts 10, 43, to him... All the prophets bear witness. This is the idea that the scriptures speak about this. That anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And what we find here in this verse is the promise that if a person repents and believes in Jesus Christ, that God will give them a gift. And it's the gift of forgiveness And I put a definition up here for that. This is God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is a promise that when you repent and believe in Christ, he will not hold your sins against you. This is so important for us to understand because many times people have a wrong view of God's forgiveness, but also many times, therefore, people have a wrong view of forgiving one another. And so if we're going to understand what it means to forgive one another, we need to understand how God forgives us. And so what I'm going to do actually next week is I'm going to actually speak more about forgiveness, particularly this type of forgiveness. But let me just touch on it this morning to show you a couple of things. First of all, true forgiveness starts with you understanding that you are under God's condemnation because of your sin. I mean, notice that he says, for the Forgiveness of sins. So what he's talking about there, he's talking about you. He's talking about your sins, right? He's saying that there are sins that we have committed against God that cause us, that demand that we must be punished. Some people think of of forgiveness as something for good people, which is kind of funny to think about. But it's like something I earn or are good people, people who are good enough, get forgiven by God. And that is not what the Bible teaches. And again, it's not even logical. It's not even something that makes sense if you think about it. Essentially, that person is saying, a person that believes that they can be good enough to receive forgiveness from God. You know, they go to church, they light the candles, they pray their prayers, they get baptized. If I do these things, then God will forgive me. People that believe like that, are trying to pay God for forgiveness with their own good works. That's ridiculous. It's like going to Target to buy a a $1,000 TV and putting a penny down. Like, it's, it's not enough. Why is that? Because God is an infinite, holy God. We have sinned against an eternal God, and therefore, the, the condemnation for our sin is eternal. It's eternal hell. And there's only one person... That could, that is eternal, that was good enough to be pleasing in God's sight. There's only one person that was able to take the eternal punishment upon him. And who was that? It's Jesus Christ. So you can't be good enough 
Only Jesus was good enough. You can't remove your own punishment. Only Jesus could remove that punishment. So true forgiveness means that you understand you're a sinner. And also it means that you recognize that you need to repent. That means you have a complete change of thinking. No longer do you say, I want to indulge in my sin. You say, I don't want my sin. I don't want to go down that path anymore. So you repent and then you believe the gospel. And so repentance and belief are the conditions for forgiveness. In other words, forgiveness is conditional. You don't receive forgiveness from God just because you come to a church like this or just because you call yourself a Christian. It's only when a person repents. I no longer want to follow my sin and indulge in that. I follow Jesus Christ. And God says when that happens, here's the wonderful thing. He gives you a gift and you receive it. You receive it by faith. So notice in Acts 10, 43, that anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So forgiveness is God's promise that when you repent and believe in Christ, he will not hold your sins against you. And so you must receive forgiveness as a gift. Don't think you can earn it from God. Once you do, it's no longer a gift. And you don't receive forgiveness. And the result of forgiveness is reconciliation with God. It it gives us really the greatest gift, and that is a relationship with the Father. And so I think it's important for each one of us in our hearts to answer these questions. When did you receive the gift of forgiveness? Oh, I've always had it, Pastor Ben. Wrong answer. (laughs) No, when... Did you receive? In other words, when did you repent and you say, I believe in Jesus. I fully place my faith in him. Is your faith fully in Christ? And so we must understand forgiveness from God. And therefore, when you understand what God's forgiveness is, then you can understand how you are to forgive. Because this is what our forgiveness, your forgiveness is to be like. Forgiveness must be a promise you make. That when someone confesses sin against you, you will not hold that person's sin against them. You will not hold that sin against that person. So forgiveness is a promise that when someone confesses sin against you, you will not hold that sin against that person. And so we got to understand what forgiveness truly is. And that means this. That a person must actually confess their sin. So when you have a problem with someone, it's not, I forgive you, I forgive you. If the person doesn't confess their sin, that's not forgiveness. Now you need to have a conversation. It's not just, well, I'm mad at that person. They really wronged me, so I forgive them. No, it's, it's that person wronged me. I need to tell them so I can tell them the sin. And then they can ask forgiveness and I can forgive. And there can be reconciliation because that's the goal in the end. And also on your end as well, when you sin against someone, it's not like, well, it's no big deal, it's whatever, it'll go away, you know. It's actually, I need to go to them and say, you know, I, I sinned against you. I said words that were mean. I, I, I hurt your reputation. Will you forgive me? And we must give it freely. It's something we give freely. We don't expect someone to do certain things. Well, if you do this and this and this, then I might forgive you. No, we, we give it freely to them. And so what we see in the scripture is that there's a forgiveness of God that's a gift to not hold someone's sin against them. But then go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, because this word for forgive here is a different word. This word at its root is the word charis, grace. And so this word in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 speaks of actually the gracious extension of forgiveness one commentary said this, the commentary, uh, the guy who wrote this, his name is Harold W. Holinger. He says this, this word means saying or doing something agreeable, showing favor or kindness. And so his conclusion is thus, it seems best to translate it as to be gracious. 
So, so it probably is a better way to translate this, to translate it like this. Be kind and compassionate and be gracious to one another as God in Christ has been gracious to you. So I think there's a distinction there for between forgiveness, as we've talked about just a moment ago, and here the graciousness. And so let me just kind of give this distinction like this. Forgiveness is a promise that you will not hold that person's sin against you. But here, graciousness is the offer and the attitude of forgiveness. I think that's what we see here in this text. Graciousness is the offer and the attitude of forgiveness. If forgiveness is a gift to pardon, then grace is the hand that offers the gift. So if forgiveness is the gift to pardon, then grace is the hand that offers the gift. And so I think we see this in Acts chapter 7, where you have Stephen, and and there are people who hate him, are yelling at him, and they're taking stones to kill him. And before his last breath, he prays, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen was not forgiving them at that moment. What Stephen was doing was extending the hand of grace and say, God, please, I pray that they will come to forgiveness. Like they will receive forgiveness. He really had this heart, this attitude of forgiveness for them. And praise God, God answered that request because one of those was Paul and he was saved. So verse 31 and 32 is teaching that our approach to problems and offenses and sins is, is that we must not hold on to our offenses, but we must rather freely offer grace in love. And to freely offer grace does not men mean that we pretend that sin doesn't matter or it didn't take place. In fact, it's the opposite. We say, here's grace. I actually want to see reconciliation. I want to see forgiveness take place in this situation. So you pursue that person because you want there to be forgiveness and therefore reconciliation. To freely Offer grace and love doesn't mean that you, this is an important one, it doesn't mean that you blindly trust people. See, there's a difference between forgiveness and trusting someone. Forgiveness must be freely given as a gift, even though the person doesn't deserve it. So forgiveness must be given freely as a gift, even if they don't deserve it. Trust is gained through proven character. So think about it like this. There might be a teenager and you go out with some friends and you come back and your parents learn that you lied to them about what you were doing. And so you confess to your parents, I'm sorry I lied. Will you forgive me? And they say yes. And then you say, and can I go out tomorrow night with my friends? And they say, no, sorry. Well, you forgave me. Well, yes, I do forgive you. And I won't bring it up and slap you across the face with it. But trust is earned through proven character. So it's good for us to distinguish both of those. And then lastly, let me say, to freely offer grace and love means that you don't hold on to that person's sins only to later throw them back in their face. That means we don't pull from 20 years ago something someone did and bring it back and be like, you remember that time, 1994? You know, you have a perfect memory of it, right? No, we don't do that. So why? What, what is the truth that renews our mind? And what's interesting here in this text of scripture, over and over, he talks about reorient your thinking to think like God. And he does that at the end here too. Notice verse number 32. We are to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, giving grace to one another as God in Christ has given grace to you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, why are you harsh to your family and to your friends and to your relationships? Why don't you have love and grace to that difficult person? Here's the answer. It's really because you have not truly grasped the grace of God in your own life. Well, my husband, he keeps sinning and I'm just not going to forgive him anymore. Like, he just, he'll just keep doing it again. Well, you keep sinning against God, and he keeps forgiving you. Can't you do the same? But that's a person who's not understanding the grace of God in their life. 
a parent might think, well, these kids are so frustrating. I can't do another day with these kids, right? Well, you were a kid once, <laughs> and God was patient with you. We should be patient, patient as well. Or you ever thought to yourself, well, that person is so immature. Well, have you ever thought, what does God think of you <laughs> in your maturity? I, that person sinned behind my back. I, I can't. I can't handle that. Well, do like God. Talk to them about their sin. Give them a chance to confess and, and, and have forgiveness and, and reconciliation. Let me really end with the story of Bruce. Because I think this is a really good illustration of this. This man was in bitterness in his soul. He was in a tailspin of depression. This, this young man... Uh, was free. He, their charges were not brought against him. And he fought to have the charges brought against him. And eventually, there was a new DA that came in, and he did, ended up charging this young man. And he went to court, and he was found guilty, and he was going to be sentenced to 30 years in prison. So he had his day in court. Wow. And he was still not content. He was still really dissatisfied. He was still bitter in his soul. So he went and sat down with his pastor, and his pastor said to him, you need to sit down with this young man. His name was Justin. And you need to talk to Justin about his sin and seek forgiveness. See, see if he would uh, ask for forgiveness. So he did that. No lawyers, just in the jail cell or in the, in the room in the prison there with Justin and Bruce. And Bruce told him what was wrong. And this young man cried. And he confessed his sin to Bruce, and Bruce forgave him. And Bruce made a decision that he was going to release his hold on that sin of Justin's. He was going to give it to the Lord, really even before he walked into that jail cell to talk to that, that young man. He started praying for Justin to the point where he actually went to the court when it was time for sentencing. He went before the judge, and he asked for leniency that this young man wouldn't even go to, to jail, to prison wouldn't be sentenced to those 30 years. The judge ended up granting that request, and he was released under house arrest. And, and, and his love for this young man began to grow to the point where he thought, what if, what if we could start a ministry together and go around and talk to teenagers about, about driving fast on the road and how reckless driving can kill people? And he went and approached this young man, Justin, about it, and Justin agreed. And for years, this man, Bruce and Justin, went around to high schools, and they ministered to people by telling them the dangers of that, but also by showing Christ. Isn't it amazing how God reconciled that? Now, God's, that's not the story of every story, right? I mean, sometimes you offer that grace, and you put it out there, and you're like, I want it, I want to, like, I'm ready, man, I love you, and, and that person says, no, get out of my life. And honestly, that never gets reconciled. But you know what? Give that to Jesus. Give that to the Lord. It's in his hands. Give the Lord those sins and pursue the grace that loves. Let's pray.